Women Bridging the Gap is a freewheeling conversation podcast co-hosted by myself, Lenya Wilson, a black woman, and Alexandra Tatalia, a white woman. Azar, what is that? So that's like my government name, like what my mom gave me when I was born. Okay, your government so. name, that's what you call it? Not your, not your I, I, name? I just have it, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, but you I know mean, what, a I lot can't... of people are like that. Like a lot of my Asian friends, they call, they'll have names like Wendy, but their government name is Xiaozu or something like that. Right. You know, that's pretty normal when you have names that are, but Azara, everybody knows Azara. You could, you just like calling yourself Zara. Zara. I grew up just called Zara and it just stuck. So I just go by Zara. Um, I don't mind either though. I don't. Yeah. It's like I have with names. I love Alexandra and I wasn't called Alex until my senior year of high school. I didn't even, it didn't, no one called me. And then Andrew Kesson's a boy started calling me Alex that I also kind of had a crush on. So I let that slide. And then when I got to college, Alexandra was just too long a name. It was an uncommon name back then. And it was too long a name. Like when you were meeting somebody at a party or a bar, like I would say Alexandra and people would already be on the next person. So I just started <laughs> doing Alex. And, and now like I go by both, but I find, I love the name Alex is a nickname, but it drives me nuts when people write Alex Detalia. Cause it just doesn't sound right. It doesn't roll off the tongue. I mean, Alexandra Detalia sounds like a friggin' empress as it, it really should does. be, as yes. it should be. Alex Detalia just sounds like somebody around the block. Maybe even, you know, <laughs> somebody driving like a mom van, like wearing mom pants. And I am not that person. Oh Alexandra is so elegant. It's so just like, Alexandra. it is. I was actually shocked the first time I saw an Alexandra that wasn't dark haired. Because even just, I was like, how can a blonde be Alexandra? Like, it doesn't work. That's bias. I'm so sorry to all the blonde people I just insulted out there. But that was my feeling growing up. <laughs> oh, so, I know. So with that, Lenya, how, how only, are you doing? I'm the only black Lenya I know. So there you go. You're the only Lenya I know. Well, there's a lot of Russian lineages, a lot of white Russian lineages. There's about 18 in the whole wide world. How did your, why did your mom pick your name? I'm named after Lada Lenya, the Russian singer who was, she played in the Three Penny Opera, but she's most famously known for playing Rosa Klebb in From Russia With Love, the James Bond movie. No wonder you have a connection to James Bond. Yeah, probably. Then. Yeah. It's interesting that I'm so fascinated with James Bond. So it's funny, you and I keep, we just have so much like weirdly in common. My mother was reading the book, Nicholas and Alexandra about the last czar of Russia. And I was named for the last czarist in Russia. Wow. So Boy, Wow. Your mom's gave you cool names. My mom named me after the doctor that <laughs> delivered me. And it feels like a last minute decision. You think? <laughs> no. Well, did that like you really just did that? I don't understand. Maybe she was thinking about it the whole time that she's been going to the doctor going, oh, well, you know. <laughs> are you the eldest? No, I'm the youngest. And, I, and me and my brother are seven years apart. <laughs> okay, well, wait, let's actually, I want to continue this, but let's introduce you. So we here we have today Canadian 
woman who is going to school, going to law school here in Los Angeles. She is a black woman and she decided to come to the States. So basically we're curious about that. So welcome yes. Zara Mokhtar. I said Thank that correctly. You. Okay, yes, good. And just in the complete reveal, like I, I have taught her, but not for a grade, but just in writing workshops. And that's how we, and that's how we met. So was it the same doctor that delivered both you and your brother? <laughs> no, it wasn't. And I actually have to ask my mom because I don't know if it was the same doctor she's seen throughout her whole pregnancy. Because uh -huh. that would really determine a lot. If it was, and it's okay, maybe she thought about it. Yes. But <laughs> yeah, she named me after the doctor. My name is Persian. And the doctor was a Persian woman. And she just liked the name and named me. So it just... It well, makes I, yeah, but it could be honoring. Too. It's a it yes. could be, you have to spin that as a beautiful story because yes. basically you had a female doctor. Your mother had a female doctor and was yes. so enchanted by what a strong woman that would have gone to medical school, become a doctor, and then mm -hmm. be a good doctor. Right? Yep. We're hoping it's a good right that she was like, no, yes. I want to honor my daughter the same way. I think that's a great story. That's how you should be spinning it. And that's, that's what you're going to tell your kid. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I do need to um, dig deeper a little bit and have this conversation with my mom and really find out yes. where this came from. <laughs> there is like a story, and I don't know how much of a myth this was, that when I was a practicing criminal defense attorney years ago, that a woman, not very well read, not very well educated, but had a baby and heard the doctor say, oh, your placenta. And then she said, I love that word and named her child placenta. There's girls that are named uh, vagina who spelled vagina. Oh. <laughs> did you, <laughs> do you, do you know what those, I mean, do you know what sweat you're dating and that's the name? Like, how do you, oh my God. All right. I just have to say as a teacher, if somebody had the name spelled vagina in the class, I don't know what I would do. Like, how do you handle that? I mean, yeah, I would, I would have to like look. In Kadeem's class when he was six years, five years old in New York, her name was Vagina, spelled vagina. Oh my God. I wonder I, if it's like, what if it's somebody's language or it means. Yes, absolutely. And in that context, these, it's okay. And so, but wait, so then later, Kadeem, I think Kadeem was telling me telling the story or maybe I was telling the story. I was telling the story to my friends and we decided that Unique Diamond Vagina is a great title for a record company. <laughs> a Unique Diamond Vagina. We were drunk, I think. <laughs> I, well, I kind of want to Google her name. Do you get Kadeem to remember the last name? I mean, did she change her name? I don't know. I mean, this, he, listen, this, that was third, not even 30, but 20 something years ago. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I could just picture all of the teachers taking attendance, calling her vagina. And she's like, it's vagina. And then in the, when she's 12 and knows what a vagina is. She really, oh my to. gosh. I remember the very first time, like I was in a doctor's office and my mom was talking to my doctor and he said vagina, or I think it was my mom that said vagina in her like cute immigrant accent. And I just started busting out laughing. I could not <laughs> contain myself. Like it was the weirdest thing. It's weird. It just felt wrong. 
Uh, well, that do you, was that like shame, or was that, or just because it's just so weird to have a parent? It's weird to have a parent talking about it. Yeah, in I front guess, of you. No, do, all right. So now this is a rant. Talk about a careening conversation, right? So now let's <laughs> talk about this. I'm curious. <laughs> did you both grow up using the correct words for body parts, or did you use like pee pee and who or other type of words? Yeah, my mother would have used some Latino colloquial term that really? I don't remember now. I'm sure of it. I'm sure my mother did not Laura? use the right word. I think I used to say like private, your private, my private. Yeah. But I also grew up speaking oh, yes, Arabic. I yes. Like I speak Arabic. And in, in my household, that's what my mom like speaks to us growing up. So <clears throat> even in Arabic, we wouldn't use the word. We just used random words yeah oh I I was such a child of the 70s my mother was like I would say I have to pee she's like do you mean urinate and then it would be like do you want to have a bowel movement there was no pooping in the Detalia household didn't know that anyone farted my sister and I figured out sometime around 12 that it wasn't a medical problem with the both of us that we were it was a secret because I mean nobody told us about it it was everything was your buttocks your vagina your yeah oh wow oh yeah that's so interesting I remember now what my mom called my vagina my kike and my butt culo it was a Spanish thing like it was always some kind of like weird Spanish word that when I would look it up later be like what does this word even exist it's Spanglish Well, the funny thing is, is that I don't understand what parents do. They make up weird names for grandparents well, and your vagina. Like, I do not understand. There is a skit there or like yeah. some sort of bit. So if there's a comedian listening, I go there because it's like the Nana and the, what did you call your vagina? Kike. Kike also sounds like what you would call a grandmother. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Then okay. you know, and then when you get older and you look it up and you're like, that's not even a word. Yeah, it's a made up word. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure culo is definitely. Yes, culo is definitely a word. Yes. Yeah. My mother was that Hispanic, you know, Christian conservative. So, yeah, so she wasn't going to say any of the words. My parents walked around a little naked a little bit. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, they were very like free. It was very, it was the seventies. I and mean, it's all, it was the seventies. They were very much, there will be no shame in this household. And which was great. But then I hit puberty and then it was like shame. <laughs> like it worked in theory while I was a toddler and none of it mattered. But as soon as it mattered, it was like, yeah. So Zara, so now we know that you speak Arabic. You're from Canada we yes. need to know more so yes. so and your mother's an immigrant to Canada yes from where so from Sudan yes so we are from a very small like village in Sudan we're actually Nubian and they speak like a different language they speak an indigenous language they're indigenous to the land and my mom so basically long story short when the Brits invaded Sudan and drew the border between Egypt and Sudan, our people got split between the two countries. And so, yeah, they speak their own language, but they had to assimilate with, you know, like the culture. So they learned Arabic and then moved 
down to the cities. From there, my dad got a job uh, opportunity in Toronto. So we moved to, so he moved to Toronto with my mom and then he got, then I was born in Toronto. And then me, my, my brother was actually born in Saudi Arabia because he actually worked there for a while too. What did your dad do? He's, so he was an like, engineer, like a computer engineer. So he worked for the bank when he was in Saudi Arabia. Okay. And then he worked for the stock exchange in Toronto. And then that, I don't know what happened with that. And then we moved to Vancouver. And so I lived in Vancouver from the time I was in the first grade onwards. Just left Vancouver this year to move to LA for law school. Well, I have lots of questions around your family history, but let's actually start most recently. Like, why the United States? Why LA? And why during the Trump presidency did you make this move? You know, where most people are trying to leave, leave and you decided. I know. <laughs> let me let me come to Los Angeles. Was it your fiance? Was that really the? That was definitely one of the biggest reasons. Yes. It would just make it easier. It was in our plans. But more, I mean, aside from that, growing up in Vancouver, I was always a super minority. I was probably like one of the three Black kids in my whole high school. So I just hated that. It was terrible. So every time I'd go to the state, I would be like on a high because I just see other Black people. And it was like, okay, I feel like I belong. I don't stick out. People aren't staring at me. So I just developed this want to go and just live there, you know? So that also played a major factor. And I just love LA. I love the palm trees, you know, your cliche palm trees, beach, which is just amazing about LA though. And the weather, obviously. So it was just all of those factors and then getting into law school. So I was like, it's my time. And I did not really think about Trump, but then, you know, it is kind of weird that I chose this particular time to go. And it was a freaking, and we still are in a freaking pandemic. Yeah. But it's definitely a weird time. Well, so in your growing up, did you experience racism growing up? Like overt, oh, like so, yes. Absolutely. So my school was, so my school in my area was predominantly Asian. So there's Asian and South Asians probably make up 90% of my school and white kids were probably like 5% black kids, not even 1%. Like it was just terrible. So growing up, I've been influenced with a lot of Asian culture because my school is predominantly Asian. So like things like my hair and like my even my body, my lips, like all of these things, just I just felt so out of place and like ugly almost because it just was not what was beautiful in my school and it wasn't what was cool. So I just, I hated high school. Mm. Absolutely hated my high school experience. I wanted to get out and I actually tried to get out like every single year. <laughs> but to do I, what? To go to a different school? Yes, to go to a different school because my friends and the people that I would hang out with outside of school, none of them went to my school. So I would pick a friend and I try to go to their school. <laughs> so I had three friends that went to different schools in different parts of the town. 
And I was so determined that I even convinced my dad to fib a little bit and tell one of the schools, like change our address, like for me to live with my friend. It was one of those situations. That's how desperate I was. And they still rejected me every single year. So it was tough. It was tough. You think that, and Lenya should really speak more to this, but just the idea of being a Black American, whether you've emigrated here, you know, from Ghana just two years ago, or you grew up here and can trace like Lenya, like part of her family to like where her family were slaves in Georgia, you wear the onus of like our great shame, our slavery, you wear, you wear that and you suffer from institutional racism just because of the color of your skin. And sometimes Americans talk about, well, it's better in other places. And so you're basically saying it isn't, is that? Absolutely, yes. Is well, it- you know that for me living in Australia, I can tell you that it's the same. Do you know what I mean? I don't think it matters where in the world you are, unless of course you're living in an all black country. If you live in, you know, one of the countries in Africa, and even then there's colorism. So, you know, that's why I don't think, I don't think we can single it out. Right. But there's systematic racism. There's, but I do want to parse it out. I want to lawyer this up for a second. So just bear with me. Okay. Because there is, because there's othering, which is if you're just, you know, even if you're, if we're just all hanging out as friends and somebody new walks in and I'm not talking about color or anything and somebody new walks in, there's going to be a sense of other just because somebody new, somebody different is there. So like at, you know, neutral, there's otherism. Then there's maybe the concept of minority where you are a, and I'm not talking like a minority I'm not talking about power now. I'm just talking about you are the minority of people. So again, very similar to other, you know, if six people are doing something and two people are always in the minority, the the majority is always going to win. And then we start getting into a power structure, right? Where if those people are always going to win, then all of a sudden you can start looking like minority and oppression, right? So then we're talking about oppression. And then we start to move towards prejudice, racism, and I'm not saying they're all overlapping, of course they are, but when I start thinking about, when we talk about dismantling systematic racism, you know, that feels very different because that is so embedded in our slavery and so embedded in our Jim Crow laws that all of that stem from that. I don't know if we're ever, we're always going to have to be actively anti-racist and anti-othering in the sense that, because xenophobia is wild and wired into our brains. So that's what I'm trying to tease out here. Like what was, you know, because nobody really discusses, I mean, I'm really excited about body positivity, but you know, you think about obese children who are ostracized, right? You know what I mean? Forever. I mean, it's, and that, and there's prejudice there too. So is it that, or is it part, are you sensing Zara that you were experiencing a form of P 
pure like racism, prejudice, or you know, or was it just a little bit of otherism? That's what I'm just it's trying. All to- of it. Yeah, it's all okay. of it. I've been called, you know, the N word before in school. Lots of microaggressions, like tons and tons, from teachers, from other students, and then there's the otherism, you know, just being different, having different hair. You know, and I think it's all interconnected, like just all comes together. And yeah, it was all of that. It was all of that. Because I don't really know Canada very much. Like when everybody was talking about leaving because of Trump, everybody's talking about I'm leaving to Canada. I'm like, no, I'm not going to Canada. I'm going somewhere else. So I don't really know much about how it works in Canada as far as what's the, you know, the makeup. And I do know that there's a lot of racism against Indigenous people there because I follow this um, Instagram account where they talk about it all the time. But I don't know whether there's like a history with Black people. I do know that Trudeau did some kind of weird Blackface thing once, but I don't know what the, I don't know what the history is with Black people there, other than I know that there, there is this racist slant towards the Indigenous people. So like, how was it settled with, you know, people of other races and colors and, and stuff? Like how did, you know, I know how America was settled with other races. They, we were brought here against our will. So I don't know how it is with Canada. So I'd say can like different parts of Canada just are completely different. So like the East Coast provinces like Ontario and even Quebec, there's a larger Black population. So let me actually rewind. So the history of Canada, like a lot of the Black people in Canada were actually runaway slaves. They're in Halifax, like that's kind of where their base is. So Halifax is a very, has a lot of rich historical Black monuments, museums, like just rich history there. So those are like the Black Canadians that came from America. Then there's the Africans that immigrated. So there's like the first generation, second generation folks. I haven't really met anyone that's really third generation. Maybe, you know, the third generation is just now coming, but it's growing up, it was mostly second generation. So that is pretty much the Black Canadian population. Now in Vancouver, particularly where I grew up, the Black population is less than 1% just super small when you go to cities like toronto it's so much more so it's different vancouver's vancouver's a very expensive city and it just it's somewhere that black people don't like to live in (laughs) i don't know why my parents chose vancouver but it's just black people don't come here why is that why do you think that is i think it's because of like the racism the microaggressions the the othering, it's frustrating. Like you get on a bus, people are staring at you. People give you dirty looks. People are scared of you. They look, they treat you like a giant. Yeah, they'll treat you like a giant. It's not subtle. People like to say, oh, it's subtle racism, but it's not, it's so in your face. And how has that affected your, I mean, even the trajectory to like say to your parents, I'm not gonna live in Canada, which is a country they chose to live in. How's that gone down? Um, it actually went pretty well just because they understood. I mean, I would voice these things to them at 
in my whole 12th grade, my whole 12th grade year, I barely went to school. Like I would just sleep in and just, I did not want to go to school. So it's actually very shocking for people that knew me in that time of my life to know that I'm in law school now, because it actually took away from my education because I did not want to go to school. And I know I was smart. I was very smart, but I just, I didn't want to partake in anything. So my mom knew this and, you know, once I had the opportunity, I just left. Where did you go to undergrad? So I went to undergrad in Vancouver, Simon Fraser University here. I think by the time I got to college, like I just started to, I just grew and I just started to deal with things and it was a better experience for sure, but it still was very suffocating. Like every chance I got, I would leave like travel. And I think that's how every Black person that I know that lives in Vancouver does that. They leave all the time just to get out. But yeah, it's not very pleasant here. What compelled you to law school? A lot of things. And this isn't a test. Give us the real answer, not the personal statement answer. Yes, no, for sure. (laughs) So two things, two major things. One, when I was younger and I'd go, my mom would take us back home, back to Sudan. And I would just, it was a different world there. And I would see some of the the ways that people lived, the injustices. And I just knew that I wanted to be in a profession where I'd help people. So that's where that kind of developed. And from there, my mom actually was, went to a law school in Sudan, but she never actually got to practice law or do anything with her degree. So I think like when I was little, she kind of planted that seed Sure. also. So it was a combination of those two. And I'm like, okay, how do I help people? And I'm like, oh, lawyer. After a doctor and she planted the seed of a lawyer. Right. You were destined for greatness. You were destined for greatness. Own that. Own that. Yes. Destined for greatness. Thank you. Yeah. Even in that sense, like how often do you go back? Do you go back to Sudan at all? Yeah. So the last time I was there was 2016. I, from the time I was like eight, until 20 my mom would take us every two or three years so I was consistently going back and that was exposing me to a different I'm so grateful that she did that just because I feel like it really grounded me in it and it just gave me a whole new perspective even in my work even in my work that I want to do now working with like human rights and stuff like it just really gives me a different perspective um on the world and it's just it's just, it was incredible. And I appreciate it now more than ever that wow. I've had to have those experiences. Yeah. They well, really shaped me. What about how affected was your family with the war? In oh, Sudan? so the Darfur war, is that yeah. the one you're referring to? Okay. So we actually aren't from that region. Okay. So they weren't directly affected by it, nor do we have family. Sudan is very diverse and there's actually a lot of colorism in Sudan, I think, Lenya, you were talking about this earlier. All like, through Africa. All through Africa, yeah. It's, and it's really sad. Like, it's even sad, you know, for my Black American friends. Like, if they were to just move to a place like Sudan, they would still feel othered because they will not identify. They won't say we're the same. 
And there's that problem in Africa and it's so sad. But don't you, so in interjecting here, what I find interesting is that, I mean, we have a name for it in this sense that it's colorism, but in the white population, when you think about different ethnicities, there's a lot of hostility between white ethnicities. And so it's just called prejudice or being a bigot, but I'm not sure it all has to do with looks rather than perceived concepts of class. But certainly when you think about what the Germans think of the French, what the French think of the English, what the English think of the French, what they all think about the Irish, you know, what people think about the Italians, the Spaniards versus the Hungarians and the Slavs. Like when you think about all that, there is also a lot of tribalism basically, you know, going on and isn't. I think it's a little different though. Between just colorism, like in. Yeah. Because colorism is rooted, it's rooted in, in a prejudice that I don't think we knew as a people prior to having encounters. No, with- that's not true. That is not true. In, in Western Africa, since there were tribes that were warrior tribes, if they won, they would take slaves from the other tribe. I mean, it was just yes. the same it was just the same the way white people would treat, you know, just the way the English treated the Irish. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying as far as that's tribal. That's what you're saying as far right. as as far as the different ethnicities disliking each other. But colorism is deeper. Okay. Colorism is a bit deeper. Colorism um, has these roots in the fact that if you are lighter, you are closer to being white, which is closer to being better. Okay. You know what I mean? Right? So... If you go to Africa and you're dark, and I'm talking regardless of whether you're from the the Sudan or from Mauritius or from you know South Africa, where and you're dark, you're all like that is an, uh, something against you already. Okay, you know what I mean. That's Absolutely. The, and then put in then put on to the fact that maybe you're from this tribe that somebody doesn't like because this went down. You know, you're from Nigeria because you know how like everybody in Africa has some kind of you know thing against Nigerians. Yeah. At the moment, right. And so you know, it's just this kind of weird. It's just it's layers. It's, it's yeah. Layers. There's so many layers. So it's it's, it's it's that kind of tribalism that you were talking about, and then sure. it's this weird colorism thing. Because I've got friends from Zimbabwe, I've got friends from um, South Africa, black friends from South Africa and from Zimbabwe, and I've got friends that live in Egypt, and they all talk about, you know, they all talk about each other kind of like in the same way, like the French talk about the English, but then they add these other layers of, oh, this guy is so dark and blah. I don't know as a people if we're going to be able to get around that soon. That, I mean, I'm hoping eventually, but I think because a lot of the times when we discuss race and, and you start talking about, you know, black and white, a lot of black people will bring up how they are, there is this kind of otherism within their own community. And how can we fix our relationships with white people when we can't even fix our relationships with ourselves? Exactly that. And yeah, it's it's super frustrating. I think even within the an ethnic group, the colorism within the group, yes, within the family. I'm thinking of my own family. Like I have cousins that are really light skinned with wavy hair, and they're perceived as like the pretty ones, you know. Mm-hmm. And 
they're the ones that got married first. They're like, you know, all of these things. And it's, it's a sickness. It's really a sickness. And it plagues every single African country. Like all, I have fr- friends from all over Africa that also have these same problems. Even like my Indian friends, mm-hmm. like the Fijians are like, more they're more darker skin so they're not as beautiful and even with their their, how they choose Bollywood actresses they want the fair skin and don't even get me started on the bleaching and the relaxing of the hair like all of these things are just it's just layers it's also with the Hispanic community as well very I mean within the Hispanic community it, it it's even worse their words that they have for the darker you are you know, yeah. like my mother's Hispanic and the things that the, I, you know, later in the beginning, you know, when they called me this word and they thought it was a term of endearment, it wasn't until I was a grown up and knew what the word meant that I was like, oh my God, these people were calling me a racial term as a term of endearment because I was the darker skinned one. Jesus, that's horrible. Yeah, yeah so- but that's life. That's like what it was. Well, yeah. so I know, so- Zara, how did your parents, like, how did your parents, did they raise you to be hyper aware of the racial issues? I mean, obviously your mother took you back every couple of years to really give you exposure and, and a root system. They, it's not something that we talked about in the house. It's something that I observed, you know, like I, I just mentioned my cousins, like the lighter skin ones were the, the prettier ones. And, you know, everyone would praise them like, oh, she's so pretty. She's so beautiful. And I started to notice these things. Like, how come you, do, you guys don't talk about my darker cousins or, you know, because my family, like I have dark, I have dark skin family members, light skin family members it's all over the place. So I just started to notice these things, never really talked about it. Now that I'm older, I'm having these conversations with my mom and she admits to it. She'll say, yes, that's true. That's, you know, that's the idea. Even when I was there, my cousin was using this cream on her face and she, it was like, I th- I'm pretty sure it had bleach in it. It was like, oh, this is too lighter. And here, do you want some? And I, I said, no, because my mom told me, don't use that stuff. But she never really explained it to me. And I don't think she ever just grappled with it. I think it was just something that like she just put on the back burner or whatever. So now that I'm asking her these questions, it's, this is a problem. Like why are, why is lighter skin perceived as better? And, and she just, she's starting to really grapple with it, I think, and just unravel all like everything, you know? She might not even know herself. You know yeah. what I mean? Like she might, this might be all something that, you know, that just isn't something that because she's grown up with it all her life. Yes. You know, I mean, I think we're only hyper aware in America. Yeah. Like I now. think that's exactly what it is, Lenya. I just yeah. don't think she was aware. And it's a lot of things like that. I just don't think she was aware. So your dad worked in Saudi Arabia. How does coming speaking Arabic, so how does that factor in? It's another layer. I mean, do people call you an Arab or do they call you a, a black woman? So in the end, like, how does that further complicate things? Because in the end, there's so much prejudice against the Arab community as well. Yeah. So it's like a double. Yeah. No matter how you would identify, you're going to be. Just, yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. I always identified as being Nubian. And that's because, you know, we just, I just, 
our heritage is so important to us and we are a forgotten people. So when people say, oh, you're Arab, I've gotten that before. And it's, no, I'm not. We were, we had to learn Arabic. Our people had to learn Arabic, but my mother's true tongue is the Nubian indigenous language. So I never identified as being an Arab. On the flip side of that, Arabs will never claim, like, because mostly most of Sudan speaks Arabic. So, but Arabs never claimed Sudanese people as Arabs either. Right. And that's very interesting because now the racism within the Arab, Arab, the Arab countries, and then the North African countries, and even East African countries that some of them speak Arabic, like Somalians, I believe some of them speak Arabic. So then there's a big war there and Arabs will never, will never claim them. Some will, some people will say we're Arabs. It really just depends on the person you're asking. And then is, is self-identification, it's really important to Americans. It's very important to your generation. Are your parents as hyper about, as hyper vigilant to self-identity? Because it's very much become an American thing, right? It's like how you self-identify, how you self-identify when it comes to everything. And we did this diversity inclusive program at the law school that the professors all did. And we sort of had to choose like how we would identify, you know? And so the idea is, do you identify by gender? Do you identify by sexuality? Do you identify by ethnicity, by race, by your job? you know, by your generation. And it was really interesting because you started to see like how people, if you had three things to sort of say, I'm Alexandra, I'm these three things, what would it be? And it was interesting to sort of see how it varied, right? Like even just in 60 professors. But for Americans, race or ethnicity tends to come up pretty quickly. And so the idea is for you, Zara, like how do your, do your parents, does it come up? Yes, for sure. Race, ethnicity. I've never actually heard my mom use the term black. So I've only heard her say, I'm an African, I'm an African woman, or I'm North African, Nubian. So, and I think because living in Canada is different. Like I said, the, the, the black population is so, so minuscule. So we just didn't have the same terms. We didn't grow up with these terms. So, yeah, so I, she'll identify as African woman, same with my dad. You say Alex, I want to know what you said when you, those three things. I think I said an Italian, an Italian, an Italian woman from New Jersey is I think how I did it. I think those were the three, like I identified as an East Coaster. I can't remember whether I said that or a Gen Xer, right? So I can't remember whether it was a Gen Xer or a new from New Jersey, but it was definitely Italian and and woman were the two were the two things. And actually, and then even then, like if somebody were standing there, I think writer would have come like very close up, bubbled up to the surface like quite fast. But it's fascinating because people are really different with how it's so cultural. Because while most of our in the states people identify with you know, what do you do for a living, right? That's very much a question. But, you know, when I'm traveling, first nobody asks and I don't offer because I really try to correct that because it's such a, most of the time it shuts down conversation. It doesn't always open conversation, but like nobody, it doesn't come up. 
you know, it's just not what people ask about you. Yeah. I don't like that question. What do you do for a living? That's a very American thing though. It's very American. And you know, it it always bothers me because if you ever are doing something that you might not pay your rent on, but it is the passion. So I think the better question should always be like, what's your passion? And if it just happens to be your job, well, that's awesome. But that's not, I always hate when people say, well, you know, writing is your avocation. I was like, well, that somehow makes it lesser than my vocation. And fuck you. That's just not how it not. That's just not how I see my life at all. Even if my job's really important to me or my career is really important to me, it's so not a a big part of my identity unless I'm entering a room and I can use it for status. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say I don't use it. I'm a persuasive person. Eric produced Robot Chicken. It was with, you know, he was one of the producers. It was Seth Green. I love that show. Well, you and Kendale come for dinner when this is, you know. And so, but we had this like, Lenny knows this. I have, we had a a Hollywood moment. We went to the Emmys. We did, did a party at the Playboy Mansion. And what was funny is that when I was in that and I would meet people and I was like, well, I'm proud of myself. Like I'm a law professor and nothing like being with a bunch of Hollywood like animation people where they're like, hi. And of course it's America. So they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a law professor. And but it's done. Ended the conversation. It was like the most boring thing on the planet. They're like, ah, and then, you know, moving on, you know, it was just, and it's funny because I, for, to make extra money, I did some script consultation even back then and, you know, it was extra money. But if I said, oh, I consult on scripts, they're like, really? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I spent years like going to law school and getting this job as a professor, but nobody cares. So yeah, that is. And sometimes, Zara, you will find out, sometimes you just don't want to mention you're a lawyer at all because boy, that changes the conversation. I'm already starting to see, like, even saying I'm a law student, it just, it raises eyebrows and I don't like it. I'm just, I just steer away. We actually, I don't think that's a question we ask in Canada. I'm just like, what do you do? Is not something that, it's not like the first three questions. Maybe when you get to know a person or like you guys are vibing, then that question comes up. But that's not something that, you know, America is different. I'm also noticing like, where do you live is a question that's oh, just yeah. asked all the time, especially in LA. Like they're trying to put you on a map somewhere in LA and they want to know how much money you make. Yes. Yeah. That I don't think, you know, here, I think, well, what's kind of refreshing about Los Angeles is that they are maybe like looking to see how much money you make where in San Francisco, it would really be almost your personality, like depending on where you live, sort of like New York is a little, or was this way. I'm not sure it's this way now that it's just so wealthy, but it was sort of like your friend group, you know, would be like, if you lived in the Marina in San Francisco, this is back in the nineties, but chances are like you're dressing kind of preppy. There's chinos, you know, And if you have a tattoo, like you're definitely living in the mission or you're more artist, you're living in the mission. If you're going to law school and living in the mission, people were like, really? You know what I mean? Like people would say that. And it was so nice. Like I lived, I, I moved my first year before I knew anything. I lived in the Marina. I moved out because I'm like, I don't like this 
vibe. And also, it's, I don't like people putting me in a, I don't like people categorizing me. Right. So I basically moved to a neighborhood that defied categorization, that it was just kind of like, I was like, no, I'm not going to make it easy for anybody. But which neighborhood was this? Western Edition. So, oh, okay. it was, and now it has part of it has been, and actually, it's the place where African Americans, that was the name boats, where Black Americans were redlined to. And oh. Divisadero was called Divisadero because it was a dividing line. And so it was, it's exactly a red line district. And so that neighborhood, that neighborhood had a very, like a higher population of black Americans than other neighborhoods, you know, and, but you really realize how homogeneous San Francisco can be because when I worked in Oakland, I mean, it's a black city, you know, and it was like, hmm, you know, like what's going on here? So it's, but people would ask your neighborhood and there, I agree that people sort of, it's about money. Mm-hmm. Oh, here in LA it is. Yeah. And don't come up with something that they they don't understand. Like me with Sherman Oaks. People understand Sherman Oaks. It depends. Well, they understand Sherman Oaks, but they're trying to figure out how, oh, oh so, so you live in Sherman Oaks. Oh, well, that might be true. Because yeah. how many black people live in Sherman Oaks? Well, it's getting better like I have a black neighbor we're of course we're really good friends because we're the only ones right <laughs> <laughs> you know it's getting better it is getting better but it is like still you could walk five or six blocks before you see another black person but now we have to ask where are you where do you live well I'm in Hawthorne and oh. I get all yes I'm trying to get to Hawthorne because I want to I want to work with Maxine Waters yeah oh. She's amazing. Yeah, she's pretty dope. Yeah, Hawthorne's nice. Yeah. I mean, I move, moving to LA, I don't really know anything about anything yet. I'm figuring it out, but I'm just, I'm noticing these things. Like, oh, I, I, oh, Hawthorne, interesting. It does, and that Hawthorne definitely makes a statement a little bit about money and yeah. race. You know what I mean? Right. It, has, it has both. And then it's hard because, you know, Lenny and I joke all the time, like I thought about moving when we live in Outwater Village, which is, you know, next to Silver Lake, basically. And we were looking for a while in Santa Monica. And part of why I was like looking in Santa Monica is to live by the beach, to live in a walkable neighborhood. But also it's the vibe. It does feel a little bit more like the East Coast in the sense of the ethnic makeup is that. And so I was like, you know, I, I kind of would like that here, but we couldn't afford shit. So we're not there. But there was sort of, and also... You know, walking along Santa Monica and when you just see one meta spot after another, like how to fix your face and everybody there, faces like this. I, I was right. like, man, I'm going to go back to the east side. But that is hilarious. True, though. I mean, you don't see as much plastic surgery stuff. On Not, the side. Not yet. And Sherman Oaks. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't really see that in hot, no plastic surgery faces yet. Yeah. I mean, it is just all a question of time. I mean, somebody told me that so many men are starting to get plastic surgery now, Mm -hmm. like the stigma is off. And I was like, oh my God. Well, no, I mean, I do think that is an Americanism. What do you do? I do think you get really crazy and people say, how much do you make? And it's like that. Oh, that 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 just feels extremely. That's out of line. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I would be like, excuse me. No. None of your business. Yeah. Yeah. No. But I, 
it's what I sort of love about the creative community. Like in my writing group, no one, I don't know what anyone does really. And I usually never say what I, what I do. And then somebody like Dinah, just, we were introducing ourselves and she outed me, you know, and I was like, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want, because then people all of a sudden they think there is, I don't want the assumptions, like judge me on my writing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an articulate person. You're probably going to figure out that I have an analytical brain at some point, but no need for, for me to do it. I mean, it's, you can sort of, it changes how people see you. And sometimes you want that and sometimes you don't. And I think as you should be able to choose, you know, choose. choose yeah. but I got to say there were many men in this little exercise we did, you know, men didn't identify as men. Isn't that interesting? Cause they didn't have to, yeah. you know what I mean? Like they, yeah. and, and it was, and their, and their profession, you saw more people like had were, was about the profession. You know, I'm a lawyer, I'm a professor where a woman would just, mm-hmm. you know, identify as a woman. And I think the exception to that is some people said I'm a father or I'm a mother, you know, because that was that you know the the worst times of my life was when i was my son's mother and that's all that i was ever known as mm. i completely yeah. lost my identity for a good t- 10 years oh you're kadeem's mom no i'm actually lenya <laughs> <laughs> but that's why well zara we're going to hear about what your mom did but it's i i have to say alex who listens to the podcast and she's, you know, I'm always listening for when you say my friend, are you talking about me or not? And Alex, I'm talking about you. Alex. (laughs) Exactly. But the idea that, you know, she was always, she was never like Devin's mom. I mean, she was Devin's mom, but she was always just always Alex. It was who she was. It was her identity. Part of her identity was as a mother, but it was never her sole identity. She did a really good job and I think, you know, she, str- she struggled the same as you because everybody just wants to lump you in as somebody's mom. But, you know, how many men- especially when are- you're, But especially when your kid is famous. Yeah. Remember that. It's, yeah, my kid is like kind of famous. He was the only black kid, you know, and right. he has this personality. In school settings, that like, or were you Kadeem's mom to everyone, you know? No, just, just- I, I was, I, you know, it was Australia. So probably to everyone. Mm. Well, I think it's hard unless you really have a dividing line. I mean, I'm not going to think of. I think Alex has a very distinct personality though. There's something about Alex that, you know, she doesn't come across this way. No, like, I think. Cause so- I've met Alex and I love her. There's something about her that you gravitate to. And it wasn't until way, I, I think I had met her four or five times before I even knew she was Devin's mom. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, it's partly again, like how you identify and also how you speak. If the first sentence out of your mouth is about your kid, your kid, you know, it's going to look right. Notice that was a little snarky, but I do. I also like, sometimes I got to say like when we, when I meet people and all of a sudden, like people start talking about their kids. Like when I would meet, like when I moved to LA and I was looking to make friends and I was like 38 and I and they would start talking about their kids like in the next sentence I was like oh we're not gonna be friends it just I was just crossed I was like see you in 18 years see you when your kid goes to college like we're and not every parent is like that but there were some where I was like yeah 
How long did it tell? Was it before I told you I had a child? I didn't know you had a child. Like forever. Well, he wasn't a child. He was a grown up at that right. point. Right. I don't know. I mean, maybe I knew by the third week, but it was nothing, nothing Mm. I really knew. Like Zara, how does your mom, I mean, it's hard because your mother was an immigrant. She had so much to overcome. Couldn't like do her job in this, in Canada. Like how, do you know how it was for her? Yeah, it was, I mean, that's all she could identify as our mom. That's all she really had here, you know? Are her friends did it be it was it did it end up that her friends were like your your friends moms like kind of thing was it like that was it insular in that way not in a bad way but just like cushioned or cozy um yeah she was she wasn't really my friend mom's friends at all she was more so like she found her community other ladies that have similar experiences and that was her like her best friend is this moroccan lady she's our neighbor so they bond, they both speak Arabic, both, you know, similar stories, both immigrants. But yeah, I mean, that's all she really had was just being our mom. And, yeah. you know, it, it's, yeah. I mean, there's, I always no, there's wonder. no shame in that. There's no shame in it. But it is like when you're an immigrant, I think it is a, it's a different trajectory. Yeah. You know. Well, I know, like she, she went to law school. So it's, I know that eats her up a little bit you know like you never really got to do you never really got to work as a lawyer or take the bar or you know do these things and she she could do it now I know she's not interested (laughs) she's not interested at all so I have to ask what do you call your generation are you gen z no I'm gen y yeah gen y gen y so Jen Y, what's your take on the word feminist? Ooh. Okay. My take on feminist is... Are you a feminist? Yes, I identify as a feminist. Now, there's complex, more layers to feminism. There's like the spectrum of feminism, right? Like liberal feminism and whatnot. So I don't really know where I fit. Like, I I don't. I just, I hate these boxes. I hate, I, I, yes, there's some stuff about liberal feminism that I like. There's some stuff about radical feminism that I like, but I don't like these terms. And I, yeah, it's just, feminism to me is just woman empowerment, women rights, equality, equity, um, and race, you know, within feminism. So I, I don't identify with a particular stream of feminism. Sure. I mean, I'm not sure I do either. Or I definitely don't. Yeah. But, and I also just think I'm peculiar on certain things. You know, it really does bother me when, I mean, we're all joking and saying we're girlfriends or something, but it really does. It's like one of those things that I can get really uptight about fast is like when adults are talking about men and then the girls or guys and girls, it's not it's not the same, like girls is demeaning. Like I see it as demeaning. Like I get uptight about a lot of things that way quicker. I notice than other people. And it always upsets me because I, you know, I I don't want to seem rigid. I want to seem laid back, but I just will go nuts. You know, even to the point where like in women in the law, when 
like I'd correct people, you know, like it just would bother me. I just was like, don't call yourself a girl. Do not, you know, don't refer to yourself as a girl. Like you are a woman. It's, you can do whatever you want, like in the club or whatever, if you're flirting, if that's your, if that's your stick, that's fine. But like in this classroom, you are a woman. So it just annoys me. I think it's context. Cause I, me and my friends, we say, Hey girl, like That's girl, different. you know, yeah. it's all about context, but I know, and oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what it's like around law professors where they're just like super fucking, oh, sorry, excuse me. Oh, it's <laughs> We're from the East coast. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so when they're like, just so backwards, you know, and I'm sure you get all that. So it probably more than anything makes you want to instill that. Don't call me a girl. Like I'm a woman. It's precision. I mean, I, right. right? I'm obviously I'm going to say, you know, if I'm, if I write to my friends, what are you girls doing tonight? I mean, my girlfriends, I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when that kind of language then seeps into a different context Mm-hmm. And where then you're talking about men as men and girls, or mm-hmm. that just starts to, it, it just ends up being a microaggression in its own way. Right. And so it, I might, it's again, it isn't one of the needles that really sticks me, but it, it does bother me. But like lots of things, I always, when I see women your age really actively changing their last name without thought, discussion, or whatever, I really do like sort of be like, but why? I just want to know why. Like, I do understand if you're going to have children, it'd be nice to have, you know, you want the same name as your child. And, but really here's the thing. I have a a friend of mine, I will not out him on the podcast, but he is changing his name to his wife's name. And I'm like, yeah, like that shouldn't, and it shouldn't be right. It just should be like, okay, what are we doing? Whose last name are we taking? Is it easy to hyphenate or can we just be separate? Yeah. My, my cousin, she has her name. She, her husband has his name and they just gave their son a different name completely. That really meant something to them. So no one has the same name. Like that is, at least that's now, that's how that's going. And I was like, you know, I mean, I was sort of upset because I wanted to, the Detalia name is going to die out because everybody is a woman in the family. And I'm like, really? You just couldn't give him Detalia? Just please. But <laughs> no, I totally. And you should I, have a baby. Ugh. Well, those days are gone. I'd have to find a uterus. But I mean... You never know. So, you know, I thought about adopting the other day. I said to Shane, oh. Do you think you'd want to adopt a teenager? He said, no. So basically, no. Yeah. <laughs> if I could adopt a rich teenager who would then take care of me, like, <laughs> I would do it. But no, I no. Eric and I, you know, we don't, we haven't checked in on that in years, but most of the time we are just like so grateful. There's never been a regret ever, even like a twinge of a regret. I have been child free since I was six. Going back to the names, changing of the names. I mean, I'm grappling with that now. You know, I just want to keep my name. I just feel like it so just means right. so much. To me. I, I I probably will. But it's it's interesting. It's an interesting conversation because why is it so symbolic? What Does that dictate my love for you? You know, because I changed my name? Like, what does that really mean? 
Well, I do think that for men, well, is it tradition or is it romance? Like that's would always right. be the question. Is it romantic? That's why you want to change your name or is it this concept? Because it bothers me because it just wasn't too long ago that husbands could legally have sex without consent. They could rape their wives and it would not be a crime in this country. So in your lifetime, Zara, that was, and so the idea is I, I'm not, I'm still not comfortable with the name change, even despite the romance of it, or, you know, if you read Pride and Prejudice, or you know what I mean? You have some sort of romance around it that you want to do it. It just says, but how can you look at that and not the, the political context and not, and then women, the power dichotomy in this country is still that men tend to make more than women. So mm. when you start looking again, you go back to contexts. In the context, men generally make more money than women. And women who are going to be the person birthing the child tends to be the one who's the primary caregiver. And we don't pay the primary caregiver in this country. Or And so the idea is that you're then contributing to the power differential in a country that values money and how much money you make over like how much you contribute to the household. And then you're going to give that person your name too. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was like, are you kidding me? And people say, but you're, you know, it's not about points. Yeah. I was like, oh, but it is, you know, I don't mean it's not scorekeeping, but you're just you're making it so the power differential and whatever assumptions each person brings into the relationship, it's going to play out in a power dynamic. And I don't mean that as cynical. I was a power dynamic exists in every relationship. What you do is you communicate through those power dynamics. It isn't, I'm not saying it's just, it's human nature. Who's going to win the argument over who empties the dishwasher? There's a power dynamic in there. It has nothing to do with bad or good. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm with my... you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my, my sister changed her last name basically as a gift. And I think she did it on their one year anniversary because he really did. It was really important to him. And so she ended up doing it as a gift and she still calls herself though, like Candace Detalia and then her last name. Do you know what I mean? There's this like huge, there's like space. And then her last name. It's just. Love that. I, I always think of like the hyphenated last name too. It just makes me think naturally, like she didn't really want to give up her last name. So she just hyphenated it just to make you happy or whatever, you know, it, it's, yeah. I don't know. I should do that. It's well, you actually go by, but you went by both names. When I first, your email is Jones. Yeah, because that's my maiden name. Yeah, my that's my no, name. No, and it's but, horrible. I say maiden name, and you know that's bad. Ooh, bad. Ooh. I know. Sorry, that's it's the name. Birth that, name. It's that's birth my name. birth name, and and that's the email address that I have had for like since Gmail started. I, when Gmail actually first started, I think I was one of the first thirteen people to get a Gmail address. So that's my wow. name. Yeah. yeah. So that's pride. But then the <laughs> other thing is though, what if you? I've know people who changed their names because they didn't like their they wanted to stop that. Yeah. They didn't like their family, you know? So they're like, why yeah. do I want to keep my name? I might as well take on a different name. Many reasons. Yeah. I have a friend that is with the white man and 
he says he wants to change his name because he just wants that privilege. He wants to inherit his partner's privilege by changing his name. And I thought that was really interesting that he said that. So, oh, wait um, a minute. So yes, he's, you know. Mistaken. Is he black? No, he's not black. He's actually Asian. Yeah. Sadly mistaken. Poor he's Asian. Unless it's like privilege, like his last name is going to be like Clooney or, or Kennedy. DuPont. Well, is his last name DuPont? <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm just trying to remember his last name. I think. <laughs> you hear me? Like, but there's not that many last names in America that have privilege. There's right. what, there's DuPont. There's what's the, the Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Huh? The Vanderbilts. Mm-hmm. The- well, here it would be, I mean, if it were here, it could be the Broad. It could be Getty. Yes. No, there are names here there even names just here. that you could change that really would. The tra- trajectory. Spielberg. But it's also that looking at it from an immigrant lens. Yeah. It's all, there's that also, because if somebody reads your name and it's like super foreign, they're like, nah. imagine someone going through, you know, resumes and it's a problem. It, it actually happens all the time. So oh, I, I absolutely, I think actually, you know, I taught that little cover letter. I taught that cover letter workshop at the law school a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning or whatever. And, yeah. but we ended up having this whole conversation, Lenya, about One, what's somebody's duty to figure out the gender of the person you're sending the cover letter to? Because, you know, if you're writing like Alex D'Italia, are you going to write Dear Ms. D'Italia? Are you going to, you know, write Mr. D'Italia? And then likewise, you know, even like when you really understand what do you put on your resume? Do you end up like somebody had volunteered for the Biden campaign and they were like, do I scrub so Biden, do I, do I just say like a campaign advisor, a campaign person rather than, you know, working for the Biden campaign? And, you know, it was really interesting. And, and since cover letters and resumes are all about excluding, you're right. If you have a name that you can't pronounce or, or something that looks foreign, you know, you're right that what is the likelihood that person moves it? Now, I'm going to admit something. There's a right way to do a a resume for like law school. There's a right way to do like a CV. There's a right way to, you know, so there's all these different right ways, but people are so humans generally, like the one way they know is the right way. So even when I look at resumes, if I saw international resume format coming in, I would be like, this format doesn't make any sense. And you do have to check your bias there, right? Mm -hmm. Because you, because otherwise... Like that's just a different style. As long as it's neat and whatever, it doesn't matter. Does that make sense? Unless my instructions for the application were put it in this format. But, you know, it's so weird. Like you do need to check. Everybody talks about pause, like before microaggression, like just pause. And it's that same thing all the way through on that. When I'm teaching and I see all of the different names, so so many names that I cannot pronounce without an ask because Zara I asked your name I had to pronounce your name didn't I and so the thing is you just have to be brave too and not be afraid to say you know what's your preference or how you know how should I address you and then so many students will say I don't care and I'm like well but don't you care you know and then 
it's I mean it's really hard I mean that stuff's tough and it is what you do I mean would you change I mean do you think your name has affected you one way or the other Zara I don't know I really don't I normally when I meet when I meet people it's never a thing right Uh, I'm not sure I've I've applied for jobs and gotten jobs so I I don't know I really don't know, but I could, I've known people that have, that has happened to them. I've known people that go out their way to change their names or not put their full last name on a resume to avoid from, avoid that from happening. So it's definitely a thing. It's, but that's been a thing forever. I mean, my, um, you know, my grandparents Italian, like it was Luigi and Katerina on an early census and not, you know, not 10 years later on the next census, it was Lewis and Catherine. You know what I mean? And then Catherine, which is a more Italian name, changing it to Kathleen to make it even seem like less Italian at times. So, I mean, like it's so, yeah. you know, and then you have all the, I grew up in a pretty Jewish neighborhood. And so then you have all the people who like change their names to seem less Jewish, like taking off the Berg. So silver, just silver instead of Silverberg. Although even now that's still, it seems to sort of say that it's a Jewish cultural identity, but everybody just always wants to be like somebody else, you know? So that's that weird, really sad thing about the human race. It's funny. I'm going to tell you a little story. You know, like when you do telesales, a couple of a year, I was doing telesales, selling cable over the phone. And, you know, I gave myself different names. Sure. <laughs> you know? I yeah. gave myself different names. Hello, this is Pilar Cassadine. <laughs> you know, it would depend on the mood. But my mother once was listening to me doing the spiel. She's like, why don't you ever say your real name? I'm like, because this is more fun. <laughs> yeah, part of it. Yeah. Did you find that you went with Pilar Cassadine was the main one? Okay. For some reason, I like that name. Yeah, Pilar Cassadine. I, you know, my mother, when we used to go to New York, and I I wrote an essay about this, but my mother would give her last name as Selby. Oh, yes, I remember that. So, because she didn't want, she just, my mother really wanted to be like a wasp more than anything else in the world, a white Anglo Saxon Protestant, you know, tall with a name like Blair, I don't know, but Selby. And so that was her, that was the last name she gave. And then she did, when she died, I, in going through her paper, she had taken a fiction class and she already had a pen name. So it was interesting that she was never identifying as Italian ever in in any of this. Like it's, it was kind of, it was fascinating to me. Like even she bought a mountain cabin and and she moved there like she sold her like loft in jersey city and moved up to a cabin and she wanted to name it like people name their houses and so i just remember she wanted to name it something in french and i was like mom like how pretentious can you be i was like you haven't you only took french in high school i don't care like i don't i was like at least name it in italian so I called it something. I'm not going to like just make myself out to be the shittiest daughter on the planet and say what I used to call the house, but we ah. came up with a name for the house that I called it and just pissed her off beyond belief. But I think that kind of stuff is just when you think about 
anglicizing your name or Americanizing your name. I, I think that probably happens. I've actually really enjoyed the people getting more creative with first names and saying, I'm not going to just go by, you know, John and Lewis, like we're going mm. to, whether we're going to show appreciation for our culture or appreciation for another culture. Although is there appropriation if you take a name of a different I sent you an interesting article, I mean, interesting video about appro appropriation and appreciation. And I don't think that's appropriation. That's appreciation. No, you're not taking it. If you were to name me some Afri, if I just decided to start calling myself by a, a fairly traditional African first name, you don't think that no. that would be? Uh, no, because you're not, you're not appropriating their culture. You're just naming your kid a name. A name is a name, right? Name. I know a bunch of white kids with like black sounding names. Yeah. And names have meaning. Like your parents could have, I don't know, picked up one of those books and wanted to name you princess. And so they named yeah. you Amita. Or their doctor's name yeah. was, you know, right. Azara. <laughs> and they're like, this woman was the bomb.com. I'm naming my daughter. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think names aren't, like that, that you have to watch that video. It was really interesting because I, I had to take it because I mean, I was one of those people like, how dare they? I had to actually think about it. You know what? That is not appropriation. That is appreciation. And I need to step back and understand that. Yeah. I mean, and actually like it could move the conversation forward yes. because that person okay. who's born with that name is people are going to inquire and that person's going to have a story and hopefully then it's a story of love or a story of kindness and not a story of hate. Exactly. And that then that bridges yes. the gap. That's actually what I do when I meet Persian folks. I, I'll say, oh, did you know that my real name is this? Or my government is my government name is uh, Mazar? And they're like, oh, wow. And that actually starts the conversation. Absolutely. So, Yeah. So you, so you've been in LA, but seriously, in the pandemic, you've experienced nothing of Los Angeles, really. No, but I was going back and forth before, before the pandemic. Yeah, for two two years, every month I was in LA. Okay. So I've got to experience, you know, like the the fun fun LA and having Kendi and having his family. I get to just hang out with them and his friends. So that I'm grateful that I have that there. I have that support system there. It's true. Well, last yeah. thing, like any, like, how is online learning? <laughs> you know what? I just, uh, I don't know. Like, I think I, cause I'm just experienced law. I'm experiencing law school virtually. I don't know what else it would be like. So in that context, it's great. The professors I'm engaging, raising my hand, we're having these good conversations. Office hours are very helpful. I'm going to all the TA sessions. I think absolutely it's been easier. The transition I've noticed seems a little bit easier with first years who don't have the experience of what it was like before in person. Right. And you're like, I don't know any different. Exactly. So there's that. I really don't. But now I think it's going to be challenging when we go back to campus. And then there's that, you know, so it's, I think that's going to be where it's going to be different, a different experience for our, us first years. 
I think um, my suggestion, and of course, I'm, the administration won't listen to me, but I think that, but I'm sure they will do lots of orientation for the building and they'll do all these sorts of fairs and events. <laughs> they'll do that to get you ready. But I was like, you should just give them four days to just party. Like just give them four <laughs> Love days. that, yes. <laughs> just otherwise, we're just asking for a lot of really hungover kids. Like when weed was first legalized in, in LA, I remember getting off on the fourth floor of, of one of the buildings and it just reeked of weed. And I was just like, what is going on here? It was just like the newness of it. And people were yeah. like, oh, I'm just going to smoke out, you know, in one of the offices or wherever the students were, because I'm sure there were students. And it was just, it was crazy. I was like, we should just let people just party. Yeah, I agree. But... <laughs> So with that, Zara, thank you for coming on. Yes, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are so dope. <laughs> we're, we're trying. I'm trying. I, know. trying to be dope. <laughs> I was like, is that a cool word now? Can I use it that? No. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> you can always use that word. Yes. That word was like trendy in the 70s, wasn't it? That's dope. No. 90s for sure. 90s for sure. But I mean, it's still very trendy. I mean, within the, I guess, it, it, you know, in the community. You know. Yeah. I'm not in that community. I'm not, you know. Well, you're I don't honorary. know what, actually, let me, what community are you talking about? I'm like, it's, 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 you're honorary, you know, it's fine. it's fine. She's a sister, honorary. Yeah, she's invited to the cookout. Yeah, you're invited to, she knows she's invited to the cookout. We had this conversation. Yeah, I'm invited. Absolutely. I'm just as long as I don't stick my foot in my mouth, oh. which I always do, but it's <laughs> with love. <laughs> it's always you. Y'all are doing great work. This is just an amazing podcast. It's... Oh, thank you. No, so everybody, listen to Zara and go rate us on uh, where you get your podcast and share with friends because yes. we're trying to get this out there. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.